Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Ria. Good morning, everyone. It's just great to worship with you this morning. Currently, we're in a series, and what we're doing is we're looking at the top 10 searched scripture verses on the YouVersion Bible app in the mo- or during the pandemic. What were the things that people were searching for, and how could they get more out of that? And so we're looking, today we're looking at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So we'll look at this scripture first, and then we'll dive into it. Paul says this, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Is that possible? Is that actually possible? With everything going on, to be anxious for nothing. Now, I want to be careful because I don't think we talk enough in the church about uh, mental health. And I want to be careful because sometimes when people have a mental health disorder of anxiety or depression, they tend to read a verse like this and get really convicted. But the truth is, when you talk about mental health, there's actually two parts. There's the brain, and then there's our thought life. You have your physical brain, and then you have your thought life. It was explained to me one time, it's like hardware and software. It's like a computer. You need them both to work. And sometimes people have an issue with the hardware, the actual brain itself. And if you struggle with that, it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's okay. And thank God we live in a country where we have medicine and different things to help with that part. This is not the part Paul's talking about. In this scripture, he's talking about the software. He's talking about our thought life. What we can control. Some things are outside of our control, but what can we control? We can control our thoughts. What goes into our mind? How we process information? Are we negative or positive? So when Paul says be anxious for nothing, he's talking about our troubles, our cares of this world, the things we allow to go through our brains and through our minds. And in order to really dive into this scripture, we need to take a look at what's happening. Paul is writing this book to the Philippian church. And he loved the Philippians because the Philippians were his biggest supporters in ministry. They took care of Paul. They met Paul's needs. And particularly when Paul wrote this book of Philippians, he was in prison. He was in prison awaiting trial and awaiting death for simply being a Christian. That's what he is in jail for, and that's when he writes the book of Philippians. So when he says, be anxious for nothing, here's a guy on death row, only crime, being a Christian and talking about it, and he's telling other Christians in Philippi, 
follow my lead. Even though there's great persecution breaking out in the church, even though being a Christian is not thought of to be a good thing, even though turning your faith towards Christ and walking daily with Him could actually cause you to be arrested, be anxious for nothing. This is important. And Paul, you know, he planted the church in Philippi about 10 years prior to writing this letter. We know that because in Acts 16, it talks about his second missionary journey to Philippi. And so Paul loved the Philippians. Like I said, they would take care of him. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Man, I said that word 10 times in the mirror this morning, and I still botched it. (laughs) Epaphroditus. My wife's laughing because literally the whole ride here, I was saying this name over and over and over again, so I wouldn't botch it. What are you going to do? I botched it. Anyway, this guy would literally bring the gifts from the church in Philippi to Paul and spend time with them while he was on death row, take care of his needs. And then he actually gave this letter back to Epaphroditus. There we go. Back to Epaphroditus to take back to the Philippian church. And that's how we get this letter. Times were very uncertain at that point. When this letter was written... It was unprecedented times, to use a familiar word. The world was crazy, out of control, filled with evil and murder, and bad things were happening to Christians. And Paul writes this letter. In the Philippian church, they had two major questions that I think we can all relate to. And those two questions are this, how do I experience joy despite my tough circumstance? How can I? And how do I overcome uncertainty in this world? How do I actually live in this world and overcome my fears, my my uncertainties, my fear of the future? How do I maintain joy in all of this? And I think those are some questions that we all find ourselves asking today. Luckily for us, Paul gives us some answers in the book of Philippians. And I want to look at some of the things that he instructs us to do when you're talking about these matters. The first thing he instructs us to do as he instructs us to pray. Philippians 4, 6, we see it again. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Prayer is offered as a solution to worry throughout the New Testament. It is a key to getting to know the heart of God to getting his heart for us and our heart towards him. It's the key to help us deal with worry. In fact, if you put these five words together in the book of Philippians 4, 6, you have the word anxious, 
prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. If you were to look at that in the Greek and put it all together, it says something like this. When we are in special times of need and the world seems uncertain, instead of worrying, pray. And when you pray, look back at times of answered prayer when you were in a similar situation and God came through for you. And from that place of thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That's how that reads. So if the answer, the main answer that we get in the New Testament is to pray when we worry, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Why do we struggle with this? Because our brains want to solve problems. We want to figure things out on our own. Plus, in the middle of uncertainty, we have questions, we have doubts about, is God even listening? Is he even up there? And that causes us to simply stop praying and start doing life on our own and just coping. But the problem with coping and the problem with doing life on your own is now you have nothing supernatural to offer anyone. You have nothing different about you than the way the world handles these kinds of issues. Prayer is the thing that puts us over the edge. It changes our hearts, it changes our minds, and it helps us to look at situations differently than anyone else would. So in the middle of uncertainty is the time we need to press in the most. One of the greatest gifts I ever received in my life was a piece of furniture. And I'm convinced that every man, maybe every person, but for some reason this matters more to men, needs a chair in their home. Like one of those nice, comfortable chairs to kick back in. And I had never owned one of these chairs before in my life. And I was probably in my mid-20s at the time, maybe 24 years old. And I was on the hunt for the perfect man chair. Something that was cozy, comfortable, I could kick back in. Something that just kind of swallowed me up. You know what I'm talking about, guys? You know, you know what I'm talking about, come on. So we were looking for it, but the problem, this, you know, this isn't as easy as it sounds to find this chair. Because you have this whole thing where you find the perfect chair, but then your wife says, you know, that doesn't really go in our house. Right? So, I mean, I found many chairs I liked, but they didn't go with the style of our home, so we had to cross those off the list. And then you find some that go with the style of your home, but they're very uncomfortable, right? So you can't do those. Then you find the perfect chair, but it's like way more money than you could ever spend on a chair, right? So here are the problems I was running into, and I began to tell people that I was around. I'm on this hunt for the perfect chair and I was getting recommendations and people were telling me what to do. And so one year for my birthday, one of our youth leaders at the time, they bought me a chair for my birthday. And it was the perfect chair. 
It got the Megan Rhea approval for style in our home. And it was comfortable. I mean, I could kick back. I got swallowed up in that chair. That, I, that became, me and that chair became one. I mean, I loved that chair so much. Each and every morning I would get up, I'd get a cup of coffee, I'd grab my Bible and my journal and I would sit in that chair. And I would read God's word, I would pray, I would journal, and that was some of the best moments of my life happened right there. Just talking with God, sometimes he would speak gently to me. Sometimes he would bring peace into a situation. Sometimes he'd convict me of something maybe I needed to change in my life. But it was such a special time each and every morning when I got in that chair. Then when I was 25 years old, I don't talk about this very often from the pulpit, but my wife and I, most of you know this, we struggled with infertility. We started walking through that at 25 years old. And that chair took on a whole new meaning to me because all of a sudden life was uncertain. The future was uncertain. And after a couple years and 14 different doctors and tests and talking about every possible way we could try to move forward with this. They came to a conclusion that without a miracle, we would never be able to have biological children of our own. That chair took on a whole new meaning. You see, the chair didn't change. What changed? My circumstances. I went from every morning joyfully grabbing a cup of coffee, excited to sit in that chair, to now sit in that chair with a whole different attitude. Questions in my mind. Opening my Bible and just staring for 30 minutes at a page without reading one word because my mind was so lost in the cares of this world. Not knowing how to pray boldly anymore. How do I pray boldly in this situation? How do I move forward from this? God, why is this happening to us? What's going on? I had questions in that chair. I was angry in that chair. I was sad in that chair. I was devastated in that chair. But it was also in that chair that I learned a few things that are super important for all of us to learn in life. One is life rarely goes the way we think it's going to go. It doesn't. And when it doesn't go the way you think it should go, you have two choices, get bitter or get better. You can only go one of two ways. And so it's in that chair where I learned to not let myself go dark and go bitter, even though for a season I believe I did. But it was also there where I began to say, okay, God, if this isn't the plan for my life, what is the plan for my life? And it was in that chair where I received joy, 
despite my painful circumstance. It was in that chair that I knew the Lord was with me even though I didn't understand what was happening. It was in that chair where I presented my request to God. It was in that chair I realized how many blessings I did have and how much I had to be grateful for despite this one thing in my life not going the way I thought it should go. It was in that chair I learned how to recreate a new blueprint for my life. My wife and I both learned that in that chair. I learned how to have peace even though the future seems so uncertain. You see, when the world is uncertain, when your personal future is uncertain, when you don't know what the future holds, that's when our minds go the most crazy. And that's when our thought life produces anxiety or produces depression in our minds. And that's when Paul says, hey, be anxious for nothing. A couple weeks ago, I talked about renewing our minds. That's, that's when we need to do it the most. It's not when everything's going great. It's in the times where the rubber meets the road, when we're facing things we wished we never had to face, and you all have been there. You've all faced those things that you wish you never had to face in life. But it's in those times when we connect to the heart of God, He seems closer than He ever has. And it's in those times He offers us something that we cannot get anywhere else. He offers us supernatural peace. Philippians 4, 7 says this. This comes right after Philippians 4, 6. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard or keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I run into people who should absolutely not have any peace in their life because of what they're walking through. But they do. And that's because they're connected to the heart of God through prayer. That they have something like peace in a time of uncertainty. See, the results of prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, offering your request to God is peace. So how do you pray in times of uncertainty? Just talk to God about how you feel. God, I put my future in your hands. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know why this is happening, but I will trust you. I've given you my life. You gave Christ to me. You've given eternity to me. And if you never gave me anything else, I still will trust you. I still will walk with you. I will still be faithful to you because you've been faithful to me every day of my life despite my circumstance. You see that word guard It says the peace of God will guard or keep your heart. That's a military word right there. And the Philippians would have known this because they lived in a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. 
And that's a term for a military Roman soldier who would walk around armed. They knew how to keep the peace no matter what. They were intimidating, intimidating big soldiers who were not afraid to enforce power to keep the peace. That's what Paul said. When you spend time in prayer, when you spend time talking to God about your situation, God becomes that in your life over your mind. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard, will fight at all costs to keep peace in your mind and in your situation. So that's important. See, prayer isn't just a discipline. It's not just a discipline. I got to discipline myself to pray. If I don't pray, you know, all this, the bad things are going to happen in my life. No, prayer is a way to connect to the heart of God and see the world the way he does. It changes and transforms our minds and our hearts for people. It softens us to see people the way God sees people, to see our situation the way God does. Because if you just look at things in the natural, you can't help but be anxious and depressed right now. And that's not what Christians need to be. We don't need to handle all of this the way everyone else does. And we can change this because we have God and we have prayer. That's number one. Number two, Paul instructs us to forget what's behind and press on ahead. How do I overcome uncertainty in the world? Well, I got to let go of the past. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. This is Paul. He's saying, not that I've already obtained this or am I made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do we experience joy and overcome uncertainty in this world? We've got to forget what lies behind and press on ahead. There's so many people right now living in the past, we're getting upset about things that happened a year ago, six months ago. Listen, they're done. That's in the past. We've got to move forward, church. We've got to forget what lies behind and move forward towards what's ahead because anxiety occurs when our minds are too focused on the guilt, shame, or pain of the past or the uncertainty or fear of the future. I'm going to say that one more time. Anxiety and depression occur when our minds are too focused on the guilt, shame, and pain of the past or the uncertainty and fear of the future. This is what Paul's trying to tell us. Our thought life matters. And if we're going to move forward, we got to get past the past. Think about this. Paul's, Paul's talking to himself here. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, but what I'm trying to do is forget what lies by. Think about the apostle Paul for a second. This guy got beat how many times? He got stoned outside of Antioch for preaching the gospel. And the Bible says stoned. People thought he was dead. He got physically beaten with rocks by an angry mob of people. Left for dead. 
And he's saying, yeah, I got to forget about what those people did to me. You think you could forget that? I don't know about you. I would be angry. I would be bitter at those people. I would have harbored unforgiveness towards them. See, there's two things that we have to forget about the past. One has to do with people and one has to do with us. People have hurt us in the past. And we hold on to that so tightly. The wounds of people that have hurt us, people we cared about, people that should have been there for us, they've hurt us, or we've had some kind of confrontation or something bad has happened to you in the past. And Paul is telling us, if you are going to move forward and be anxious for nothing and overcome the uncertainty of the world, you've got to forgive. You've got to let that go. And coming from Paul, this guy got beat so many times for simply being a Christian. His own people, people who he ate dinner with, people he did life with, people he worked with, sent people to hurt him, to arrest him, to beat him. And he's saying, I got to forget what lies behind. This is my thing, and I got to strain towards what's ahead. I got to let that go. If we're going to move forward, we got to let the past go. The other thing has to do with our own mistakes. Some of you are holding on to the shame and the guilt of something you have done in the past and it's eating at you and it's eating at you and the if only I would have done this that, that's running around your mind if only I wouldn't have done this it's going, it's going, it's going listen I've got to let it go think about Paul who wrote this he killed Stephen when he was persecuting the church, Christians, before he became a Christian, he actually stoned a great man of God named Stephen to death. And he had to let go of that mistake. He had to try to move forward. How do you move forward when you know you stoned an innocent man of God to death and now you are that man? If he can do it, we can do it. Forget what lies behind. Put the past in the past. Some of us are holding on with a grudge, with bitterness towards the past. Things that have happened over this last year, even America, in America, we're holding on. Gotta let it go. Move forward. Continually renew our mind. Take those thoughts captive. Push them out, put positive thoughts in, move forward. That's the goal, because we're never going to reach full maturity in Christ Jesus on this earth, but we can keep our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. And we realize that Jesus himself loved people. 
He loved the unlovable. He loved the people that put him on the cross. He loved the people that cussed him out. He loved the people who didn't think the way he thought. He loved the people who crucified him. He loved them. And Paul says, this is how I forget what's behind. I keep my eyes on Jesus and follow his example. He became obedient even to his death. I'll keep my eyes on him, the author and finisher of my faith. And by keeping our eyes on Christ, we're also reminded of the unending grace for our mistakes. The forgiveness that's made available to us. The redemption that we have in Christ. That we're only righteous because of Christ. So keeping our eyes fixed, this is what Paul is trying to tell us to do. Keeping our eyes fixed on him reminds us to look at people the way he did and to look at ourselves the way God does. That's how we move on and move forward in an uncertain world. The third way we do this is we try to maintain joy even in the face of changing circumstances. This can be the hardest one. The book of Philippians conveys a powerful message about the secret of being content and having joy. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I maintain joy whether I'm hungry or well-fed, whether I'm rich or poor, whatever, well, whether I'm free or in prison, I'm content. That's hard. But if we're going to maintain joy, we have to learn the secret of being content Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So many times, the things that we once thought were valuable, when you look at a different season of your life, they're not as valuable. Think about that. We spend so much time in different seasons of our life thinking things are so crazy that years later, they're not even that big of a deal. Just think about different certain situations or seasons of your life. Think about high school. Maybe you're in high school right now. Maybe you were in high school a while back. But think about it. What were the things that brought you anxiety in high school? Probably not the things that are bringing you anxiety now. Probably 10 years out of high school, all those things you thought were so important didn't really matter. I used to get devastated after I lost a soccer game in high school. Oh my gosh, we lost I'm so mad. I'm angry. What are we going to do to win the next one? I played class D soccer. (laughs) At a Christian school. I was never going to do anything with soccer. I'm not even that good at it. 
I hate running. <laughs> but at the time, oh my gosh. What are we going to do? This is the end of the world to lose a soccer game. I get dressed up, get all dressed up and go hang out at the Italian festival. And man, I was just so worried. Just wanted girls to look at me. That stuff doesn't mean anything to me. I got the most beautiful wife on the planet now. I could care less about that. But in high school, oh my gosh. That was so important. When you're in college, a whole new set of different things bring you anxiety. Am I going to be able to use this degree? Am I going to be in student loan debt the rest of my life? Am I going to make money? Is this college going to pay off for me? I mean, think about that. Whole different set of worries. When you're deciding, maybe I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to go into the workplace. I'm going to do a trade. That can bring another set of anxiety. Am I going to be able to do this forever? Am I going to be able to make a living at this? When you get married... That's a whole nother level of situations. I remember our first house, uh, you know, our, it was actually our second house, and we were so excited it had a granite countertop, like a granite countertop. It was the ugliest granite. Now I look back and go, man, I, I would have never picked that, but at the time it was granite, it was awesome. The things we worry about usually years later are not the things that we worry about, and we have to understand as we go through life, we have different seasons and the things that we value usually lose their value over time. When you have kids, a whole new set of things. When you have a midlife crisis, when you're nearing retirement, all these things lead to different uncertainties in our future and in our world. And if we're going to be able to process them and maintain our joy, We've got to understand that they're temporary and that God is still good and he's still in control. See, true joy is not based on circumstances because circumstances change. True joy is based on the way we filter our circumstances and how we filter our circumstances, whether we're going to filter them through the way the Bible instructs us to filter them or we're going to filter them the way the world does will lead to two completely different outcomes in our lives. But luckily for us, Jesus gives us this example. Think about Jesus' maintained joy even going to his death on the cross. Dying the most horrific death in human history any time in human history, he did it. And during his ministry, he maintained joy. He was a person that everyone wanted to be around. He experienced joy in his suffering. Paul said this about him in Philippians 2.8. He says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He wasn't a criminal. But he died an embarrassing criminal's death, but you know what? He maintained joy. He maintained joy. And Paul said, I follow that example, and you should too. 
follow my example as I follow Christ's example. Maintaining joy even in difficult situations. Paul's in prison writing this letter awaiting his death. And he maintained joy. He wrote a book about joy in that situation. Come on, that's supernatural. Could you write a book about joy right now in the middle of everything we're facing? But he did. And that's the example for all of us to follow. Life can be uncertain. In fact, uh, about a year and a half ago, one of my best friends in the world was told that his liver was failing for no reason. He didn't drink, he didn't abuse his liver, but his liver was failing and that he was going to need a liver transplant to survive. He's 41 years old, has two young kids, great man of God. And he's walking through this fear and uncertainty. A liver transplant or I'm going to die? That's hard news. Some of you know that kind of news. It's hard news. And I watched him still maintain joy even with that news, you know. Every couple of months he was in the hospital getting six to eight ounces of fluid drained out of his stomach. He wasn't feeling well. He struggled to do the things that you and I do on a daily basis. But I watched him maintain joy. Finally, he got a living donor who was willing to give him half the liver. I didn't know this, but you give half your liver to someone and they can live. About 10 days before that surgery happened, he got so sick, ended up in the hospital with an infection, almost went septic, but survived. Made it to his liver transplant day. Got the liver transplant. Then the doctor said, this is amazing. You're healing faster. The transplant worked. It was amazing. He got out of the hospital in record time. Everything was going better. We're like, that's an answer to prayer, man. God, you're so good. He gets home. And he's had two major setbacks since that's happened. That's driven him back to the hospital. This roller coaster that we find ourselves on at times. Just when we think there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's hope. And then they feel like there's a setback. There's hope, and then there's a setback. How do you know what I'm talking about? You face those kinds of reports in your own life or you know someone you love who has. Devastating reports like cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, illness. We're walking through this stuff, and it's hard. One thing that I love about my friend that I just think is unbelievable is he still jokes around and maintains joy throughout it all. It's possible. It's hard, but it's possible. How do we overcome uncertainty in this world? Number one, we pray. We go to God. Number two, we forget what's behind 
and we press on towards what's ahead. And three, we maintain joy despite our circumstance because our circumstance will change. And one of the main ways that I do this is I remember that God is good. And he's good because he put breath in my lungs. He gave me a chance at life. And he gave me the greatest gift of Jesus Christ and salvation and eternity with him that anyone could have ever given us. He's good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are, we thank you that you are good. You are so good to us, Lord. We love you. We appreciate you. We seek your face, God. And we just pray, Lord, in times of uncertainty that you would give us hope, that you would give us peace, that you would help us to maintain our joy even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Chris, I want to thank you for that incredible and inspirational message of hope. What a message from the Word of God. And I am so fired up. And my faith meter is so high right now. I want to pray a bold prayer. As we bring this service to a close, I want to pray a prayer of trust, a prayer to God for the impossible. How many of you know that the Bible invites us to do that? God himself says we can come boldly before his throne of grace and we can make our requests known to him. We can pray that way. And heavy on my heart right now are two Community Christian Church members who have been around here, long-standing members, Cheryl Major and Cootie Matthew. Cheryl Major and Dave have been here probably 27, 28 years and maybe 20 years for the Matthew family, Anna and Cootie and their children. And they are in desperate need. In fact, if they don't get a touch from God today, they're not going to make it. Cootie is riddled with cancer. Cheryl Major is on dialysis. No functioning kidneys at all. She hasn't eaten in over a month. They will die. This is life and death if God doesn't send a healing word to them. But I believe that he's capable, he's willing, and he's able. And we're going to cry out to God on their behalf. Now, we did this about seven years ago. Uh, it, during the service, something moved in my heart, and we called Dan Zink out of the congregation. And at that time, he was desperate. I mean, he was facing death. He looked like death warmed over. That was seven years ago. He's still with us today. And I believe for both of those families, there's a few other people I want to mention. I can't mention everyone. I know there's a lot of names. I know there's a lot of people are facing things, just like Pastor Chris said. Laura Cook and Leo Percheroni, they suffered crippling injuries and accidents, and they need God to touch their bodies. And then there's Giorgio Kozak. He's gone through a bone marrow transplant. He's doing well. We need to pray that he continues to do well. And Scott Blair is on my heart as well. There are others, I know. And maybe you know somebody who's been struggling. Maybe you're here today and you absolutely need a medical miracle from God. You need God to touch your body or your mind. I'm going to pray for you as well. In fact, if you are in need today, can I just get you to slip up your hand? If, you, if you're in need, 
maybe somebody nearby, maybe just one or two people, could you lightly put your hand on their shoulder as we seek God, as we come boldly before his throne of grace and we pray a prayer of healing. Father, we thank you that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. You invited us to come to your throne of grace. You said when we had a need, we could come and we could pray during times of uncertainty, during times of trouble, when impossible, impossible situations faced us. We could come to you and we could tell you how we feel. And Lord, Cheryl Major needs a miracle. She needs you to send her a healing word. Cootie Matthew needs a miracle. He needs a healing touch. And this is not too difficult for you. You only have to say the word. You only have to speak their name and their situation will change. We pray for a breakthrough in all of these names, all of these people that we've mentioned to you, Lord. Every person who's here today, those who raised their hand, we're asking for a medical and spiritual miracle, supernatural miracle, because we serve a good God, a healing God, a God who's more than enough. And we put our trust in you, Lord. By your wounds, we're healed. You asked the prophet, who's going to believe the report of the Lord? Who's going to put their trust in God? We do, God. We do, Lord. We raise our hand. You are a good God. And even though we're walking through terrible, miserable, tough times, you are still on the throne. You're still doing the same things you did 2,000 years ago and longer. You're healing the sick. You're casting out demons. You're raising the dead and you're making whole. We thank you, God. I pray something would happen in our hearts today, Lord. I pray something would have shifted and changed that these situations that we're facing, all of this difficulty and adversity that we're going through, that, Lord, we would just look to you and we would see you as you really are. We lift our eyes to you, Lord, because our help comes from you. We are expecting miracles, Lord. We are expecting to hear good reports. And all during this week, we'll pray and we'll trust because you are a good God. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you so much for opening your heart to the message today, the last couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to these verses of Scripture. You know, the, the Scripture itself contains life. The Word of God is quick, it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It can change how we live. So let's apply that message to our hearts today. Let's put a smile on our face, and let's let the love of God be reflected in our lives. Can we do that? Okay, and then on your way, I'll grab a cup of coffee as well. So thank you so much for coming. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.